0: Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study.
1: We are starting Sefer Breshit, the book of uh, Breshit, Genesis, uh, let's say Shechianu for starting another triennial year of, of reading Torah together, that we've lived to see this moment together, all of us. We bless the source of life who has given us life, sustained us in that life, uh, in order that we are able to reach this wonderful oh, my moment my in time. did the uh,
0: Shekheyanu for new fruit, new vegetables, the first time of the season. Mm-hmm. Is that a, a custom?
1: Uh, uh-huh.
2: yeah.
1: First time in a long time, first time in the season. First time ever, Yanu is for all beginnings. Uh, although, um, for me, Yanu is the quintessential Jewish bracha whenever a deer comes up to the window, you know, or anything. It's just that I've that I've lived that I have existence, consciousness, and have made it to this moment to see whatever this is or experience whatever this is. It's like for me the paradigmatic Jewish response, right, to confronting the the beauty of the world. Uh, all right, so we are going to begin at, we're now in the first third of every Parsha. So uh, we finished last year the triennial division, uh, finishing the last third, as I've told you many times, that was once the norm, in, even in the ancient world, to, uh, to read on a triennial cycle. It was the Babylonian tradition, um, and so they read on a triennial cycle, um, and uh, so we are well within our tradition's history to, to be reading a third of each Parsha, but we'll now be reading the first third uh, of every Parsha. It's a little easier to know then where to start uh, if you're studying at home. So Genesis, uh, Brashit chapter 1, verse 1. Somebody want to read? <clears throat> When God
3: was about to create <clears throat> heaven and earth, the earth was of chaos, unformed, and on the chaotic waters face there was darkness. Then God's spirit glided over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And when God saw how good the light was, God divided the light from the
1: darkness. God then called the light day, and called the darkness night. And it was evening, and it was morning, the first day. Okay. Who has studied this text with me before? I
3: think I love, I
1: love all right. So um, you might know that this is one of my favorite texts of all time. Um, you have probably extensive notes in whatever version of Torah. you're you're working from, you have extensive notes on this part of of Bereshi, right? First you're gonna have an introduction to the whole idea of the book and what the book is about and what its themes are, but really a lot of time is devoted to understanding um, kind of what this whole Bereshi, this whole creation narrative is about. Because for us, we tend to think of, when we describe the origins of the universe, it's a scientific enterprise to explain how We got to where we are in terms of the the universe being what it is. That is not the Mm -hmm. point of Torah. Torah is not interested in explaining how things got to be exactly the way they are. Um, There's an accepted cosmology in the ancient Near East. This is located firmly within that tradition and is a radical reconstruction of that cosmology, the ancient Near Eastern cosmology. Um, so we're going to look at the ways that, the, that our Bereshit narrative is similar and is of that um, world and the ways that it introduces something radically new uh, into the ancient Near East and therefore into everything that follows after that. Right? It's a whole new idea in many ways um, what we have happening in this chapter of Bereshit. Uh, it is not, however, um, a literal explanation of exactly how and what happened, because what Brashid is doing is laying the, it is building the stage, the setting for the patriarchal narratives, right? This book is really about the patriarchal narratives. Um, and so this is, if you're gonna start at the, the beginning of our you know, people's history with the, with the ancestor stories, you set the stage with creation. The point of Braysheet is not to explore creation.
3: Good.
1: We don't spend a lot of time there. We, you know, we kind of get it. We get Adam and Chava being created. We have two different versions of that. And then we move on fairly quickly uh, to what happens, um, perfection, right? The fall of humankind, because we have free will and free choice, right? Uh-oh, <laughs> that got introduced into the world. That's a problem, right, <laughs> or a challenge. Um, and so then it's the decline of the human um, race uh, until we get the age of the patriarchs. So all of that is kind of a backdrop to the story of Avraham and Sarah. But, having said that, um, we're going to linger uh, with uh, Bereshit today. All right, so how did you translate Bereshit, Ruth? How did your how does your translation deal with the word Bereshit? Well, oh, I
3: have to be reader <laughs> to know what I think. Okay. Um, one, one. Well, one way, I think... Think one of the accepted ways is in the very first sense when God was about to create heaven and earth. Not God created the heavens and
1: the earth. Okay, so bereshit was when God was in the south. We would say fixing to create. Yes. So a state of readiness. So this is addressing readiness. Uh, it could be,
3: but it also leaves room for things that came before that are that were not really that are not really germane to our
1: story. Okay. Um, so we we have here a con, a noun that's in the construct state that takes a finite verb bara created. Uh, this is a common. Um, way of opening cosmologies in the ancient world. We also have this form uh, in Leviticus, and Isaiah, in Hosea, um, but it's a difficult one to actually translate. Um, so you can either have this being um, it, its own statement that, that in the beginning of God creating, this is what happened. Um, there's another way of understanding it, um, to be in the in the beginningness these are some of the things that happened right not in order of things exactly but in in beginning he, here are some things that happen. all right in any case what we do know is that given the ancient near eastern tradition of explaining how the gods come to be what we know is that this is the first time we see in ancient Near Eastern uh, literature the idea that the creator God stands completely outside of time. Completely outside of the creative process. Right? It is no, no discussion of how the God came to be or God's origins. Nothing. That is unusual. That doesn't happen in ancient Near Eastern literature. So this is a new idea. That the creator God stands completely apart from time, outside of time, outside of anything that is, was, would be, completely outside of that. And for the most part, well, I'm not going to say And completely alone. Right? So that is new in the world. There's also,
2: regarding the relationship with other gods of that era, there's a strong personification of this God, because it's almost like he's making an arbitrary decision whether or not to create us. He could have not.
1: Yes, right. The possibility exists of not creating, right? It is not inevitable that creation is going to happen, right? It is a decision.
2: Kind of like not taking for granted anything that... Very nice.
1: Nicely said, David. Very nicely said. We don't take for granted that the world exists, It is a, in our tradition, a loving God who creates, right? Now the question, what moves God to create, right? Is one that philosophers have spent, you know, generations trying to answer. Our tradition um, is not so interested in that. However, Kabbalah, Jewish mysticism, spends a long time on this idea a long time on the movement from God simply existing and that's all that exists and has always existed, if you can say always when there's no time, um, that, that moving from that to something else, that, that, what is that movement about? In Kabbalah, that's an important moment, right? God fixing to do something. Where does that come from? The, the movement into doing something is a very interesting Kabbalistic moment. I have a
3: question. Mm-hmm. You said that God is good, love. Now, the other civilizations, do. I don't think they look at God in such a positive
1: light. Well, first of all, they don't have one God. They have many deities, so there's a lot going on. So no, for them, creation is not necessarily an act of love. In many cases, they, the gods create human beings, and then get really angry because it's keeping the gods awake. We're keeping the gods awake, right, you know, and then we get, need to be crushed. So, you, you know, it's not—it's much—it's different in the pagan, in the pagan literature, dealing with and that is one of the differences, I think, for sure. We are not the only ones to have the the people created out of clay, right? Or any of that. That's not original. This idea is original. So bereshit, in some kind of beginning-ness, God created, this word bara, created, is used only of God in Torah. Only God creates. It's not necessarily yesh me'ayin, something from nothing, creation ex nihilo. It's not necessarily so. But it's implied. Right? So, and generally that's the understanding. Uh, but bara is used only of God. We can't do baraing. We can do yotering, right, forming, shaping. Uh, we can't do creating.
2: Because creating implies that there was nothing before.
1: Correct. Right. Yesh me'ayin in Hebrew. Something me'ayin, from nothing. Um, which is how creation here is understood. Even though we're going to get some interesting suggestions to the contrary. even in Kabbalah, it's yesh me ayin. Everything comes out of nothing. God is the great nothing, capital N. God is ayin. God is nothing. Nothingness. And so out of that emerges everything, including the vessels that shatter. But they don't exist until God moves.
3: So it seems to me then that some sort of the love, as far as God giving love to human beings may come in the Abraham, Isaac story. Uh,
1: all, all of it is a is an answer to Amen. that God.
3: Where where do you see
1: love here? We don't. Ruth is choosing to, to stay question. with something that I said, which is <laughs> our tradition views creation as a loving act. That it's a loving God that creates the universe so that we, ultimately, so that we can know God. That's ultimate, and that's an act of love. That's an act of relationship. Which we're we're going to go there later. Mickey? In, uh,
0: in creating, uh, turning on the light on Shabbat, is that like creating light? That no, creation?
1: no, it's melacha, that's work. Oh. It's not creation. It's Shabbat, yeah. No. Okay, I
3: would take some where we are right now is nothing has been
1: created.
3: Okay? Correct. Right? Correct. Okay, we just know there's a God not assuming that we're going to be
0: created because he could decide not
1: to. Correct. Okay. All right. So so God does the baraying. The word for God here is what? Uh, Elohim. Elohim. So Elohim instead of Yud Vavhe. vav is not
0: that plural?
1: So this is a plural singular like the depths, the waters. Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask about, the chaotic waters. It is a plural singular and probably, Reuben, probably left over from when early Israel was polytheistic. Mm-hmm. So all of the gods that they would have had in their pantheon um, are combined into the new understanding of there being one force that represents all of them. So it's kind of understandable that it's a plural word uh, in that sense, right? They're all under the umbrella of Elohim. But Elohim, because there's no capitalizing in Hebrew, can mean either our God Elohim or Elohim, other gods. Right? So the word is still plural, but when we understand it as referring to the Creator God, our God, it's a plural singular.
2: It's called plural, uh, pluralia tantum in grammar. Uh, two
1: words. How do you say that in English?
2: <laughs> like pluralia
1: <laughs> tantum. And that's Latin? How do you say that in English? I think I don't know. You don't? Okay. I mean, you... The plural <laughs> singular. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Reshit bara Elohim. So we're getting the universal God. This is the abstract God. This is the accessible by everybody God, right? Vavhe is the God that Israel tends to be involved with, right? That's how we we talk about the God with whom we have a special relationship. Elohim is the universal God concept, yes, um, which makes sense because we're talking about creation of the universe. Right. It's interesting to me that our story as a people does not start with "and there was a guy named Abraham." Right. We firmly locate our stories within the context of all humanity. All like of creation. Ancient Greek
2: tragedies, where the chorus would explain to the audience what the environment is before.
1: Exactly right. Exactly right. And in our case, we understand the one God to have created. All peoples, all things, right? You know, that it's, that's not necessarily, right, how it has to go. But
3: it says in the
1: universe. Wait, 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 where does it say universe? I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't say, universe. say universe. Mapitong. Mapitong.
3: But I, I want to go back to the beginning when we said that it,
1: it also created out of nothing. Not uh, don't not go, of go there yet. Don't go there yet. You're getting ahead of me. All right, so okay. in the beginning, Elohim does this business of creating. What does Elohim create? Hashamayim. The heavens. Ve'et ha'aretz. And the earth. Okay, that's pretty clear. The waters don't get created. Hang on. Let's look at it. Let's look at it. Vehaaretz And the earth was tohu vavohu. What does that mean? Dark. Chaos. It was chaotic. Chaotic, unformed. Chaotic, unformed. unformed. Void. All of these words mean nothing. Okay. So because we don't have words for pre-creation. We don't have words for what things were before they were. <laughs> all right? Like, so we can, we can get near it with things like unformed, void, chaos. Okay. But we say chaos in a way because creation is all about making order. So, if it's about making order, then what has to come before order? Chaos. Chaos. But really, none of our words come close to understanding what you're talking about when you're talking about primordial ooze.
3: <laughs>
1: right? All right. So, it is tohu It's in that state. What line are you? Line two. Or. Vehoshech alpene tehom. And Choshech, what is Choshech? Darkness, Darkness. Darkness.
0: Darkness.
1: On is on the face of the Tehom. Okay. Alright. So, we have Choshech. It seems that the Choshech that we're dealing with here is not simply an absence of light. This Darkness seems to be something in and of itself. It is, it is something, this choshech, right? Because, duh, it's dark. There's no light yet, so of course it's dark. I mean, they weren't idiots; they knew that. This seems to be suggesting something else—a choshech that is palpable, right? It is often in the ancient world, a symbol of evil, of ignorance, of, you know, like, it's, darkness is somehow demonized almost, right? Um, hmm? It still is. Exactly, exactly right. And that's why the universal symbol for wisdom or enlightenment or God is light, right? You know, so it's just in our nature, I think, you know, to... We're scared of the dark, we're vulnerable in the dark. So it makes perfect sense that in our human construction of good and bad, light is gonna be good, dark is gonna be bad, but I'm not suggesting that this is saying it's bad. I'm just saying, Choshech here has, someday, that's another PhD topic I'm gonna look at doing, um, is this Choshech. I'm very interested in this Choshech. I don't know why, but I'm very fascinated with what this Choshech is exactly.
3: Yes? Thinking of
1: childbirth
3: when I heard that first sentence because when I was giving birth to my first child I was alone in a maternity hospital absolutely alone giving birth by myself and it was chaos and it was darkness and I didn't know when it was going to stop I'm with you,
1: Blanche. Pardon? I'm with you. Yeah. So that was your experience as well, yeah. right? So back in the day of ignorance, mm-hmm. when women were isolated and mm-hmm. right? separated in order to deal with this very scary, messy, mm-hmm. traumatic, mysterious, magnificent thing called birth, um, uh, I would love to hear your poem from the standpoint of God giving birth to the world. Mm-hmm. Because I, th- I think that is just a beautiful and profound insight into this text. Um, and I would love to hear God speak, God's experience. Because I think you're right, I think it's here. I definitely think it's here. It's, again, at Exodus, you know, when, we, when we talk about birthing a people, through the birth canal of the waters, right? And the blood on the doorposts as they pass through the bloody portal, right? um, And then through the waters. I mean, you just can't miss the birthing elements there. I think you're 100% right that it's here. 100%. Okay, so we get this choshech that's alpene tehom, that's on the face of tehom. What does your translation say about tehom? Waters. Waters? Anybody got something else?
3: It's not in here, but I, it's the deep.
1: I the deep. Yeah. Great deep. The great deep.
0: Well, there was chaos unformed and chaotic waters.
1: Chaotic, chaotic waters. waters wow. Chaotic waters. That's interesting. I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so. In the ancient world, th- there was an understanding that everything was water. If you think about it, water is the element we need for stuff, right? And it is the most kind of, other than air, which we're also going to see, it's, it's amorphous water, right? So chaos kind of includes darkness and the sense of completely surrounding waters that are not the ocean. This Blanche is your pregnant God. So we are surrounded by water, not we, but I mean creation is at first water. Like amniotic fluid. Like fluid. It's dark and there's water everywhere you kind of get that sense of, you know, just everywhere. That kind of is what Tehom is, that completely surrounding chaotic, if you will, water. And what we know is that 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 Choshech is present. In the ancient world, one of the ancient Near Eastern goddesses involved in Hmm. Hmm. Um, involved in creation is a goddess named. <laughs>
4: That's the only way <laughs> to deal with, <laughs> with it. Couldn't <laughs> figure out it's the board. <laughs> the board. No, I don't think it's <laughs> the board. Is it, a goddess concept. named Tiamat. Just throw them out.
1: They more. can't be saved. No, they can't. They and Tiamat is a this. dragon kind up. of. Form made of ocean water. Often. So she's a serpent, dragon, saltwater, huge, right? Mythic presence. That is the birthing goddess. That is the creatrix, Tiamat. In one of those stories, Tiamat's body, because this is always what happens to, to goddesses, right? Cut in half. By a god, her top half goes up, her bottom half goes down, and we're going to explain a little bit about that. Really? Um, but that's what are the uh, stabilizing things that separates the waters and allows creation to exist. What, what culture are we talking here? The ancient Near East, Mesopotamia. Okay. The neighbor and, and the parent culture of early Israel. Right, early Israel comes out of a region that already has a rich mythic history right that's where this comes from so probably what we have in Tehom is a remnant of a story where the goddess is subdued by the male god Elohim here,
3: mm.
1: and so what's left is this watery Tehom just a theory. <laughs> it's, it's like uh, Venus, nice. Venus
2: in ancient Greece uh, culture comes out of the water and Botticelli has her coming out of, a, out of the water as well, yeah. It's all coming out of the water. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. So, um, but, but it explains a little bit why Tehom might be here. Like when you said it predates, you know, creation, Lisa. This, mm-hmm. this kind of explains it. If you're dealing with remnants of an earlier story yeah. that has t- a Tiamat kind of feature, and now it's subdued by the Elohim God who has sovereignty over everything, it makes sense that it's there. We don't get the story of why it's there, um, yeah. but it can seem like darkness and water precede creation, that they are already somehow there. there. So we're not, it doesn't go into any discussion about it. Torah doesn't care. Let's be clear. Torah doesn't care. I could spend six years studying this. Torah does not care. It's just, except, you know, this is just the story. This is the setting. This is the Greek chorus coming on to tell us the setting before the action starts. All right. So then we have the next. Okay, so. Beruach Elohim merachefet alpnei hamayim. So there is Ruach. What is Ruach? Spirit. Spirit. What else? Smoke. Wind.
0: Breath.
1: Smoke. Breath. No, breath is, is nish, Nishima. But, nish, but, you know, maybe breath. Maybe breath. Um, breath in that it is wind. Right? Breath in that it is air that moves. Um, what is the only way you know that there is air? The movement of it. Movement is crucial for creation. Just think about your science. It's fascinating to me that how many thousands of years ago, there is a human intuition about how things need to be to start. Right? That's incredible. You have to have water. And you have to have movement. So there is the Ruach. The ruach Elohim, the wind, (coughs) spirit, I don't know what that means, but okay, right? None of us know what that means. But whatever it is, wind, spirit, something invisible, kind of move. if we're not clear about movement, we get a word for it, merachefet. In another place in Torah, merachefet is the bird, the eagle, hovering over the nest of the young. So, a kind of movement and stasis, right? Like so, both right. A, a, a still movement. Think of a hummingbird, or a helicopter, or a helicopter, right? It's hovering. It's hovering. A rustling. Yeah? A rustling, right? Not exactly directional movement, but movement that 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 suggests presence, right? This motion is necessary and, and is the trigger of we're going to get God's presence now doing something to this tohu va choshech to home business, right? This movement is critical.
4: And when you have when you have hovering or rustling, there's also uh, an implication of potential. In other words, you don't at the at mm-hmm. the instant of the rustle. like when you see the leaves moving and not in any particular direction, the the potential is, well, they could go that way, they could go that way, or they could just drop back down. That's exactly right. You don't know. This
1: is the potential entering existence. Mm -hmm. Existence begins with this potentiality. Kabbalah, this is the language of Kabbalah. Potential and actual. That is the language and the world of Kabbalah. We are to bring things from potentiality into actuality. Gosh mute, actuality—that is our whole reason for existing. Could be called cause and effect. Cause and effect. God as the prime cause. Right. The effect is the merachefedim. But isn't it suggesting that that's why I
3: think that God
1: is darkness and light both. Meaning, No. No. Because watch what happens next. What happens next? Well, well. What happens next? Vayomer Elohim. So out of this potential, out of this movement into moving, comes Vayomer. And it didn't have to be this way. We take it for granted. It is a radical statement in the ancient Near East, Vayomer. How does creation happen? through speech that did not have to be it could have been god you know remember that right genie right god could have snapped god's primordial fingers god could have blinked god could have spit god could have done any number of things to move from potential into actual what does god do god speaks this is for us as a people the creative element in the universe speech, language. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Language is creation itself. This universe is made up of speech, letters. For the rabbis, these letters. That's why they always go back to the Hebrew, always to do any midrash, to do any real work. They don't use their language. They go back to this language because that is not just a series of letters that makes a word. That is a mystical truth up there that humanity could spend the rest of created time exploring because this is what the world is made up of. These letters that ordering of those letters means something other than what it means. We'll explore that too. But,
4: well, but and you have the well, I mean, it's it all becomes a bit circular, but you know, yes. it, it you know it makes sense in that, uh, you know, what what do people do? People tell stories which come from words, and I mean...
1: But to right. say that God creates with speech is right. as a people to say, right. we don't just tell right.
4: stories. Right, but that, right. We, we, well, we create our own narratives. We, we create potential. We, we, I mean, we continue to participate in the act of creation by continuing to speak.
1: Correct. And not every people sees that as the main... I mean, all people tell stories. I'm not saying that, but we, we are the people of the book! <laughs> right here it is. God speaks creation into existence every moment of every day. Say the brownies. And if God were to stop speaking, the world would cease to exist. Vayomer Elohim. Elohim speaks. What does God speak? Yehi. Yehi. What is Yehi?
2: Imperative.
1: Imperative of existence. There will exist, that's a new word, that's a new word. There will, what is exist? There's never been exist before, this moment. There will exist, or, light. That is the first real act of creating that we as a people tell God speaks light into existence. What could that be about? Since there is no, there is no light. There's no sun. Who's God talking to? (laughs) So the good news is, we don't have to have an indirect object for this verb
2: because it's just God speaks. It doesn't have an object.
1: But it, there is no object necessarily, but it begs your question, Linda. Usually when one speaks, <laughs> it's because you are communicating. So usually there's a hearer. There's a listener. Well, well the light
4: unless he, is listening. you know? but just said, The
1: light doesn't exist until God speaks.
4: But he says light.
1: God and says he. God says let there exist... Or. light wakes up when... So he doesn't just or. say or, he says... No, or. God says, yehe, mm-hmm. let there exist. Because that's, for me, the big word, not or. The it big word up. is yehe. There's now going to exist stuff.
3: Is that an indefinite object
1: then? What does that mean? <laughs> no. What
3: does that mean? Does Take mean? it for granted that... Uh, God speaks light to somebody?
1: No, God speaks exist. It's a command. Exist comma what's supposed to exist. In Hebrew, that word comes before the object before the thing that's being existing. Existified. Right? Like Hebrew works differently than English. We would say light exist. Hebrew works the other way. So when you hear yehe, you're waiting to hear what? Is going to be he or light. There is no sun. What is this light? Now answer, Diane. What is this light? You, you were right. What, so what is this light? There's no sun. So it can't mean light like we know it. Inner light. Inner light. Inner light. The, Knowledge. the light that is God as we experience it.
4: We're pushing it. Or, pushing, or what opens up when you push some of the darkness aside? If
1: darkness starts to shift, what is there underneath that or through that? Light? Light. For the rabbis, this is primordial light. What does that mean? There's a beautiful translation of uh, Midrash on this that I love, love, love. Because the rabbis see that we are created in God's image, they return the favor. And image God in our image. And so, if we get up every morning as good Jews, what do you do first thing every morning after you get dressed, everything? What is the first thing you do? Thing. Huh? You're going to daven. Mm-hmm. And when you daven, what do you do? What's the first thing you do when you start davening? You, before tefillin, before t- you, you thank, you're, you're appreciative for what we have. You put on talit. Huh. This ore is the ore of God's talit, being yeah. opened in the morning, and God robes God's self in God's talit. This is the primordial light from God's talus. This, this whole thing is poetry. It is, it is 100% poetry. Images that suggest other things. That are not about linear, scientific explanations. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Because, yes, this gets underappreciated as a text, I believe, because we've taken it out of its mythic, context, and we try to get at proving this or that. Fundamentalists do. We don't need to, thank God. Um, but fun, fundamentalists have to deal with this, and they have to make this work with the Big Bang. Fortunately, it can. <laughs> but, um, but really, we don't, need, we, we don't need to do that, thank God. We get to go back to the beauty of what this really is about, which is about us considering origin, existence, birthing, creating, you know, just all of it. Like, how how can you think linearly about that? I mean, unless you're a modern cosmologist trying to, you know, look at particles, okay, that can be poetry too. Um, But this is not trying to be a linear explanation. And we do it such a disservice when we don't treat it as poetry. So light exists. Vayar, what's the next thing God does? So in this kind of God is now doing things. God hasn't presumably done anything before. God is baraing, creating, and the the first way verb involved in creating is va'ahin, right? You know, speaking things into existence. What is the second verb involved in God creating? Va'yar Elohim. He gave it a name. Well, before that, va'yar, the first words of verse 4. Vayar, God saw. God speaks and then God sees. Saw. Vayar is the first word of verse 4. And remember, these verses are imposed on the text. Remember that. There were no verses. Look at a Torah scroll. Ain't no verses, ain't no punctuation. It is just one glob of text. I mean, they're paragraphs. But there are, there are no verses. This got done late. They're like 1330. And borrowed from the Christian world. Because when the Jews had to fight the Christians about the texts, in those, what are those famous battles called? No.
3: <sighs>
1: well, you know when, the, when they would put the Dispute, text?
4: Disputations.
1: Disputations. When the disputations were happening, you had to have a standard common way of referencing this text. So they imposed the Christian biblical numbering system onto the text, because the Christians had this text.
3: So metaphorically, does the fact that there is no punctuation in the Torah actually uh, suggest that the, that the whole act of creation is a ongoing and the. Without form, in a sense, because there are no end stops, um, and um, that it is really what you bring to the act of reading and interpreting Torah.
1: I think that's a beautiful midrash on our format. I think it's a beautiful because, midrash.
4: I mean, but that, that, but if you pick up a newspaper in Jerusalem, it's not going to have punctuation either. Mm-hmm. Well, I well, mean, it's, yes, I it will. Hebrew. It won't have
1: vowels. It will have punctuation for sure. Oh,
4: you mean it, it won't be I vocalized,
1: mean, but it know, will have punctuation.
4: Right. So, but I mean, but the Hebrew, I mean, if you write Hebrew.
1: Right. There's no so, vocalization. There's no vocalization. Right. But but we're dealing with not even punctuation.
4: Oh, okay. So, right, you just know, so it's like, just kind of about just run a run on. Of, uh,
1: it's just a run on uh, sentence until you get to the end of a paragraph. Paragraphs
2: <laughs> and books. That's it.
1: There you go. Exactly. Yes.
2: Yeah. Because ancient times. It was so expensive to write for the ink for the papyrus. Even uh, ancient Latin didn't have lowercase
1: letters. It was all capital letters, one after the other. Because you, you needed to save space. And this was not even papyrus. Papyrus is easy. <clears throat> that's easy. What was this? You. Know, this was, Again. was on skin. Well, you right no, no. Where did these texts originate? Oh, stone. Oh, uh-uh. Stone. Clay tablets with a stylus. This is heavy. This is not just troublesome. It's heavy. You have to be very succinct if you're writing on clay. Because you've you got to schlep it. Right? So, a stylus in wet clay, you save as much space as possible. The Torah does not waste words. I am. But isn't it true that it was written in the
3: first writing, were done on stone? Period. That's why the tablet
1: came. Mesopotamian texts, cuneiform. This was done in cuneiform. I'm not talking about the Stone Age. I'm talking about the Bronze Age. Right? The origins of these texts would have been cuneiform. At the time, that's what they were using in Israel. Papyrus doesn't survive very easily. Right? Stone, we'd move way past that. Way past that.
3: What I'm saying I what I'm saying, the right writing started on the stone first. I'm yeah, but like
1: sure. About. Cave drawings and rudimentary characters start on stone. But
3: interestingly enough, if you
1: think about it, the tablet Moses supposedly was written on stone. Right? So that is a memory way back, right? That's remembering, that's remembering backwards, putting it right mm-hmm. in the past at a time when they would have been using cuneiform. Yeah. All right. So. Oh my gosh, we're not getting very far. Okay, so Vayar Elohim. So God sees. What does God see? The ore. And what is the first thing God notices about the ore? That what? That's good. Ketov. It, it is good. This is the first divine assessment of existence. It is good and God makes a differentiation a distinction between light and darkness and in this case it gets a proper designation hey right hachoshech the dark right the primordial dark Vayikra Elohim now we're going to get God doing what what's God going to do now give it a name give it a name Naming is a very powerful act in our tradition. To name something is to identify something about the essence of something else. It makes
3: it exist. It
1: gives it labels. It gives it a different kind of existence. existence. And power. And that is that is a power. Naming is a power. So pay attention in the rest of Genesis to who names whom. Mm. It's very interesting. Who names whom? God named her. That is a power. So remind me whenever we get to those texts to talk about who names whom. If I don't get there, so God names the the or the light young day and calls the choshech lila, right? Uh, what do you what do you call it? Uh, night. <laughs> Vayehi Erev, Vayehi Boker, Yom Echad. And there was evening, and there was, meaning for the first time, morning, Yom Echad, one day.
3: So does this (coughs) then symbolize the fact that originally it's darkness?
1: Yes, it doesn't symbolize it. This is it. This is the reality as we understand it. Day begins with erev. There's erev, there's boker. That's a day. That's why all of our holidays begin at night. Yom Echad, day one begins with erev, then boker. Right. Mm Mhm. change your name all right so
0: and that's why our day started yesterday
1: yes yes that is why our day started yesterday Era versus era of Yom Kippur right always all right we, we talked about there being what There were being water to yes you'll find I'm a fantastic artist. <laughs> okay, so there is to home. That's kind of the understanding of what's going on until and this is part of ancient near eastern cosmology. Until vayomer elohim yihiraqia betoh hamayim. And God said let there be a rakia, an expanse, in the midst of the mayim, in the midst of the water. ben mayim that it may separate water from water. Water from mm-hmm.
0: water. Where is this? Verse 6. Oh, this is going on, yeah.
1: <laughs> Let there be a rakia that mob deals, that distinguishes, that separates, that differentiates. Be maim lemayim. So in the midst of the Mayim is a rakia that's gonna separate Mayim from Mayim. Why does that have to happen? God yaases, God makes this rakia and differentiates ben hamayim asher So this rakia makes a distinction between the waters that are below, tachat, and the waters that are above, above. Um. Me'al Right on top, and it was so. Why does God do this? God calls Rakiah Shamaim. What is Shemaim? Sky. Okay. Heavens. If you went to Bible school when you were young, you might have called it the firmament. Whatever the heck that is. The firmament. So God calls the rakiyah Shamaim, vayhi ereb vayhi voker yom sheni. There was evening, there was morning, the second day.
0: I have difficulty picturing this.
1: What are you saying? Well, (laughs) (laughs) where's the sky? Is that not clear?
0: Where's the sky?
1: Where's the sky?
0: Yeah, in in this picture. You have water here, you have water there.
1: You have water above the sky. You have water below the sky. That That's all right. you have right now. You have rakia.
4: You have sky.
1: So think think atmosphere. Just, I mean, you, you have the atmosphere. atmosphere. Well, we got Created. Water we got some water and above there. the atmosphere <coughs> is water. <coughs> and below the That's atmosphere is water.
3: We know up there, right? okay. For okay, them we it's there. like, duh.
1: Like what else would there be? Duh. Alright. But also because we don't yet have Earth. Land or earth. It's hard, it's hard to picture sky. Exactly. We don't have our created world yet, so let's go there.
4: Well if you're on an ocean
1: cruise. <laughs> <laughs> right. Order. That's true. <laughs> think think of being on a boat and you get more of a sense of this. There's water, there's sky, and above the sky there's water. Right. Think of that movie Water World with Kevin Costner, right? Yeah. Just there's just water, sky, and above the sky water. That's what we have. Until what? Let the water below the sky be gathered into one area that what might happen? Dry ground. Could be seen. That dry ground can be seen. So all of a sudden, we're getting another layer which is dry ground. Maybe he's going to name it. Right? So now we get something else going on. Okay? And it was so. Va Elohim La Yabasha so God called this dry thing eretz, Land. vehamayim kara What? So so God calls that land, right? And the other, what does God call the other? Seas. Oceans. Vayar Elohim. What? What does God see about all this business? It was good. Oh. It was good. It was good again. It's good.
3: But By Yomar
1: Elohim. So God says, let there be shit, let there be grass on the land, right? According to its seed and its species and all that good stuff. Now there's, now there's plant life, right? Where are we? We're at 12 Thank you. around there. And I'm not, I'm not taking time to stop and read because we'll never get anywhere. Um, so, but to say deshes, so now the earth is going to bring forth vegetation and all kinds of trees and fruit bearing stuff and trees. And God saw what about that? That it was good. It was very good. And now you have the third day. Yes? Okay. Yom Shi. By Elohim, God speaks again. Yehi, let there be what? Me'o wrote Barakia. Let there be luminaries in the sky. Ooh, is that permanent marker? Let there be. Lumina- no, it wrote so well. Luminaries. wrote
3: too
1: well. Luminaries in the sky. In order to what?
4: The Separate.
1: Separate. To differentiate between yom uvein between day and between night, and they will be signs, right? For the moadim, for the for times like, but time as in a, a set amount of time, seasons is a is a good is a good interpretation. Uliyamim yamim and days, bishanim and years, right? Because how do we how do we tell how long a day is? It's about the lights in the sky. Mm-hmm. How do we tell how long a year is? By the lights in the sky. We went by a lunar calendar that was always rectified to the solar calendar. Always. It was never strictly a lunar calendar. Or we would have wound up like Ramadan having holidays well, move. And you, wouldn't
4: have, and you wouldn't know when
1: the seasons. Exactly are. right. We had to rectify to the solar calendar so that harvests would be when they're supposed to be. I mean festivals would have been around harvests. All right.
3: What? Yes. Is it wrong then to assume that if God is giving creative growth to the place below the sky, the land, that there would be creative existence above the sky, the stratosphere? Which might then be other
1: planets or something in the universe. Well, all, all we know is that there's mayim above and mayim below. The only activity we know of is between the mayim. The only creative ordering of things is between those chaotic bodies of mayim. There isn't now. Could those be split into another raqia? Why not? Why? Well, yeah. The rabbis call God olamim, life of the worlds. Right? Why not? Why not? All we know is this one. All right.
4: Uh, but he does, uh, and, the, and the stars get created too in the 16th.
1: Yes. All right. What I'd like to do, we get the... We get life coming first in vegetation, then in other forms. I want to go, because otherwise we won't get there till three years from now, to the creation of human beings in this chapter.
3: 26. Chapter
1: 24, chapter 24, right? Chapter 24, what? Chapter 1. <laughs> Alright, verse, verse 26. After the beast's Right? And swarming uh, things and creeping things that yeah, are what? What does God being. consider them to be? Tov. Good. My daughter disagrees with some of that, but whatever. Vayomer Elohim. And God says, Naase Adam Bitzalmeinu. Let us make Adam earthling Bitsalmenu in our, our, image. our image. That's so interesting because he says
3: let Make, not no. I will make. So he's with yeah, somebody else.
1: Now pass. what? Right? <laughs> now he's now the what? The royal, the royal we. we. Yeah, okay. The royal we. Okay. That's time? funny. The first time what? Us. Yes. So, the royal we. That's a safe wa- way to go, isn't it? That's the safest way to go. Is, there is there the a royal we? There's lots of ways to look at it. Lots of we's to look at it. <laughs> um, for for again for. For a fundamentalist interpretation, no. It is the royal we, or it is God, you know, speaking to the hosts, the angelic hosts, because we are in the image of God and like the angels, right?
3: Well, we referring to everything that God has created so far? God forbid, because that would mean what? That all of that helped create... Right,
1: that the animals and the beasts... Well, God forbid. The whole God created universe, which is all
3: God's...
1: So we have permission to go there. We have permission to go to... We means the universe gives rise to... You know, the created world eventually gives rise to human beings. Well, all of that is necessary to sustain And this is why... I see no problem harmonizing evolution with this text. Because if you say we means everything that exists before humanity, that is exactly what happened. Isn't it? The, the creative energy that we call God moves through everything as it exists and gives rise eventually to a very smart primate. <laughs> <Does it> end-
2: <laughs>
4: it, up to this point, through 24, when it says God said let there. These are all imperative. Is the Hebrew always the imperative?
1: Yes, until here.
4: Yeah, until here. So, But what's interesting to me about using the imperative is usually, and we talked about this earlier, usually when you're you're speaking to somebody, when you say, do this, right? I mean, you're not just... The imperative to me is directive. Somebody should do this. Somebody who is... But here... Uh, all of a sudden they say, let us. But it's still and it's not imperative.
2: Person, yeah, it's still first-person imperative. It's just a, a first-person plural imperative. But it's more deliberative.
1: But then on verse So, 20, the, ten,
4: so, so th- the tense is still imperative. It's still imperative. It's still, still, yeah, still yeah. imperative. And, and the first
1: one is, yee like, exist. There, it, there is no somebody to, to make something exist, right? God, God's speaking to the stuff of the universe itself, saying, exist something else. Yes? What? But then on verse 27, then it's only God created the human being. Oh, of course. Of course. It's because a it's a little too scary high. the other way for if we're going to take it literally. All right. So, so this is where the fundamentalists have to deal with this text. Right? So it's got to be the royal we or it's God speaking to the angelic hosts as a courtesy right, before God creates human beings, and there's lots of wonderful midrashim about the angels going, no, don't do it, don't do it,
0: <laughs> no. well, <there> <laughs> this is
1: a big mistake, God. I we at this <laughs> time yeah. understood it, like, talk about it now. It's interesting, really, in Hebrew, you don't get a king really speaking, or, you know, um, unless it's speaking to the people, let us, but really there isn't so much of a royal we, but and I think and I think any biblical criticism deals with the reality that this probably is a remnant of a polytheistic early Israel, just like Tehom is I personally don't have a problem with that obviously, but um, lots of folks do so the rabbis go to great lengths to try to figure out why this says Naseh but it does. And so it's, let, let us make Adam, earthling, uh, in our image.
0: Is uh, the rabbi's comment about why they chose this word, which comes from the earth, right? Adama?
1: Because it is of oh, the I'm, earth, this thing. But
0: in the human? Yeah. So everything is of the earth. Of water, Nothing special about Humans?
1: It's earthling. Okay.
0: But
3: so,
1: meaning it's it it's not horse. It's not, nothing has terminology used of it other than it's a beast, right? Like the beasts, the swarming things. Now we're getting a thing that's going to be created of the earth, but that is in the likeness of Elohim. That's the differentiation. That's the yeah. distinction. Otherwise, we're just a, another one of the the, yes, everything derives from earth. However, there's something unique and different about this business. God intentionally makes this earthling in God's own selen, whatever that means. We don't know what that means.
0: Okay.
1: Right? We, we don't know what that means. All we can know is looking at one another. If we're created in the image of God, we can look at one another, experience one another, and therefore know something of God. What that is, is up to us, right, to apprehend. That's our job, say the rabbis. That's the point of creating us, is so that we can know that about God. Otherwise, God remains unknown. I just want to finish this because it's very important. 27. Vayivra Elohim et ha-Adam b'tsalmo. And God created, right? We're using that word created again, right? Because this is now something new. The, the Adam, the earthling, b'tsalmo, in God's image. B'tsalm Elohim in the image of God, oto. Did God create it? Why am I saying it? Because look at the next words. Zachar unekeva bara otam. Male and female, God created them. This is not what you are used to hearing as the creation narrative, is it? No. This is Genesis 1. It's It's the first story. We have another story in Genesis 2. We have a whole nother story that starts with this garden and and Adam, earthling, and then a bunch of stuff happens from there. You know that story. You don't hear this one. The first story in the book, the first story on the page is this one. Zachar unekeva, male and female. Adam is male and female. For the rabbis who have to harmonize Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, one of the things that happened is God eventually splits Adam Mm -hmm. into male and female. Why? Lots of Midrashim about it, but mostly I understood this text when I was nine months pregnant at Rosh Hashanah, celebrating the birthday of the world. I gave birth on Sukkot. So here I was nine months pregnant, at Rosh Hashanah services, right, talking about the creation of the world. And it's like that question of why? Why move out of unity, cosmic unity, into this business? Why? Because, as I understood, celebrating, writing sermons about the birthday of the world, nine months pregnant, I loved whatever was inside me already, Mm -hmm. but in an abstract kind of way, because I couldn't know her. I couldn't know her or really love her until she's born, until she's outside of me, until she's other than me. Because if she's still me, it's a narcissistic, lovely kind of existence and love and enmeshment. that's terrific. Is it really love? Is it really relationship? No. Not until it's apart and Somehow separate. This word separated. Happens over and over in the creation narrative. Separation. Separation is what. Allows for relationship. So if. Adam. If earthling is. Male and female. God created them. That's why I said it. When it said Oto. Not him. It. Why separate? In Genesis 2. Why have Adam and Hava? Because. As long as they're together as one uh, hermaphroditic being, there's no relationship. They're Siamese. Well, no, it's not even that, because they share a mind. They share everything. The split for us is not bad. And it's not unequal at all. It is primordial. Because without that, there's no relationship possible. And God creates the universe and specifically Adam in order to be in relationship. In order to be known. There's no reason for creation. Right? Just why? Why Rakia? Why? Why all this business? Why? There's no reason other than relationship.
2: And then when those two parts unite because of love, they come close. They create! They become they, uh, they become partners
1: with the Creator, and they create life. it could not be more obvious that all of that is tov. All of that is good. And when Adam gets created, what does God say about Adam? Very good. Very good. Tov Because it's the first time creation is conscious. It is when God's creation. Becomes conscious of itself. And that is Tov Me'od. That is very good. That is a Jewish understanding of cosmology. Tov Me'od. It is very good. And the rabbis say, why does Bereishit? Why does creation begin with the letter bet? If the whole universe is created through Torah and created through this language, there has to be a reason. This is not an accident. Why does it start with a bet? All the, all the letters contended to be the letter that begins the Torah, that begins the blueprint of the universe. How did bet win? The Bora. Oh, okay. hmm? Bora. Bora. It's the, the first letter of create.
4: Aleph is just, it's, well, first of all, it's not vocalized. It's just the breath.
1: Aleph is silent. So for the rabbis, Aleph might be over here. Because this is, God is the Aleph of the universe. The mm-hmm. right. And right? it's the number two. It's the number two. So some rabbis want to say, don't read, God forbid, Bereshit in the beginning. Read instead. There were two reshits, two beginnings.
3: Hmm.
1: Nice word, Pamlet. Yeah. Two yeah. beginnings. One is what God creates. What do you think the second one is? Man. Well, what we do with that. Two people. Two people. Lovely. Two beginnings. Two people. This is gorgeous, y'all. My favorite? It's bracha, maybe. <laughs> bracha. I mean, yeah, it could be. Um, <laughs> and my favorite is... It can get kind of crazy-making with all this what happened, what didn't happen, who did it, why, how. The rabbis say, don't ask what's below, do not ask what's above, do not ask what's before. It's none of your business. You creatures, your business is what comes out of brashim. That's your concern. Don't worry about before or up, or down, before creation, above creation, outside of creation, other galaxies, don't worry about it. The only thing you need to worry about is moving into creation with your consciousness, with your soul, with your God-given ability to choose bracha or klala, blessing orders. Good Shabbos.
0: You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday morning Torah study from Kahil at Israel in Pacific Palisades, California.